Welcome to another episode of Anesthesia On Air, the podcast from the Royal College of Anesthetists. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Dr. Ramai Santrapala. I'm a council member at the Royal College of Anesthetists and a consultant anesthetist at Guys and St. Thomas's NHS Foundation Trust. I'm delighted for this podcast to be joined by two inspirational women. First of all, Dr. Fiona Donald, who no doubt needs no introduction, but is the president of the Royal College of Anesthetists and a consultant anesthetist at Southmead Hospital in Bristol. I'm also joined by Dr. Ashwini Kashkamat, who's an elected council member representing SAS doctors and is an anaesthetist at Dartford and Gravesham NHS Trust. So thank you both for joining me. Thank you for inviting us. So the subject of this is really to tease out some of the nuances of female leadership journeys and, you know, the joys and challenges. So perhaps as an icebreaker or a nice way to kind of introduce into that, it'd be really nice to know what your leadership journeys have been like. So if I go across to you first, Fiona. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks, Ramai. Um, it's quite quite difficult to remember when you've had a long career where things all started. But so I'll just I'll, I'll spare you my trainee years and start with my consultant career. So as a consultant, I was appointed to be the lead for our obstetric anaesthetic services at Southmead. Um, so I sort of uh, leapt into a leadership position there and learned a lot during the 10 years that I was doing that job. And in that sort of on the clinical leadership side, I then moved on to um, working in the orthopaedic services. So um, doing some leadership work around um, anaesthesia for orthopaedic services. And then kind of parallel to that, on the educational side, I also um, became college tutor, which had been an ambition of mine when I became a consultant. I, I knew that I wanted to um, get into the educational side of things. So I became college tutor and did that role for six years. And again, learnt a lot both from the people who'd done it before me and from all the other um, college tutors in particular that I met um, whilst I was doing that job. And then um, as a member of the board of the Bristol School of Anesthesia, as a, as a college tutor, I then moved into some other roles on that board and became chair of the board at one point and lead for, for um, education in the Bristol School of Anesthesia. Um, and for those of you with long memories, you may remember MMC, uh, Modernising Medical Careers, um, which caused quite a lot of consternation in the educational world. And that happened at a time when I was involved in, in the Bristol School of Anesthesia. So subsequent to that, I um, applied and was successful in becoming an examiner for the Royal College of Anaesthetists. And I started that role in 2009 and finished in 2021. And I... Um, Whilst I was doing that job, I took on some leadership roles in the exam as well. So I became lead for, for part of the, the final FRCA and then eventually chair of the final FRCA exam. And at the same time, I applied to be a member of council for the college and again was successfully elected, uh, much to my surprise, I must admit, and um, have over the years since I started on council in 2016, I then became um, the chair of the finance board of the college and then eventually was elected vice president in 2019 and president in 2021. And I'm sure you're going to ask me what my top tips are for um, how to how to navigate those that sort of leadership journey. But I have to say that a lot of it seems to have just been a question, slightly accidental and being in the right place at the right time. But um, if you give me a little bit more time to think, I might be able to think of some tips and hints that I can give to people. That's brilliant. Um, very varied and as ever humble um, 
but yeah, very lucky to to have that time with you. What about you, Ashwini? Uh, thank you. Thanks, Ramai. And uh, thanks, Fiona. I must say that this has been a great privilege to uh, have this podcast recorded on this occasion and uh, beside Fiona Donald, who is truly an inspirational model. So obviously, my journey um, uh, is shorter than what Fiona's outstanding journey has been. So I... Um, I'm an international medical graduate. I am from uh, the city of Mumbai. And uh, I must say that I started my anesthetic journey way back in 2005. And then having completed my anesthetic training in India, came to the UK in 2011. Um, I believe, um, so I believe in saying yes to things. And I, I believe opportunities knock at our doors every now and then. So as Fiona has said that, you know, it's being at the right place at the right time. So being new to the country, I kind of um, went through the exams, got through the uh, system. Um, and then now I've been a specialty doctor since 2013 in uh, Darren Valley Hospital. Um Whatever opportunities came to me as a specialty doctor, I've been quite uh, open to it and responsive um, about it. And um, so I remember Fiona being uh, my examiner way back in 2015, I must say. And then uh, I uh, was associated with her when she was um, leading um, the exams. And then I got involved in the SAS committee at the college. This was, again, I must mention that I had two inspirational SAS uh, women. So both Kirsten May and Lucy Williams, who I think all of us know, who've done a lot of work um, in the, that area. Uh, and then, of course, um, I stood for the council elections. And thanks to the... Uh, voters and I think I was lucky enough got elected uh, as the um, council member on, and from then on I think the opportunities have been immense because then my journey has been very steep uh, being it uh, taking up uh, roles at the college committees or uh, chair of the SAS committee or vice chair at the equivalence committee so it's been amazing and a fantastic journey and I must say that um Obviously, Ramai, yourself and me joined the council together. So you've been an inspiration in your own ways. But Fiona has always um, been someone who I look up to. So thank you. So what I really like about both of yours, it's about being in the right place in the right time. So I guess moving on, we were going to talk about the kind of strategies or, you know, what you may have utilised to essentially enhance that leadership journey or kind of support that. But it really seems that there's a thread of kind of right time, right place. So, you know, how do females really identify those opportunities that are fortuitous that will really bring out the, um, the, the kind of leadership aspects in them? Yeah, that's, that's an important question, isn't it? Because I do think that sometimes um, you hear, you know, just talk in, in departments and things when a, when a, a leadership opportunity comes up or, or any, any type of role where you do hear some people saying, oh, I don't think I could do that. And it doesn't, it, 
I think we need to try as as leaders ourselves, we need to try and encourage people to think beyond that and sort of and think about themselves in respect to that job and how what qualities they've got that could mean that they could do that job. And that's certainly how things have often happened for me in that I've had lots of people around me um, in my department at work and in the Bristol School of Anesthesia and here at the college who have um when I've, you know, floated an idea, perhaps, have actually been really encouraging and said, yes, you know, we think you could do that. Yeah, you should definitely try for that. So I've, I've always benefited from some very positive affirmation from people around me. So I would encourage people, if they have an idea like that, that they, they see something and think they might like to go for it, you know, do float the idea with your, your friends and, and people around you. Some people feel a bit anxious about doing that because they think it might seem too presumptive or something, which is, is definitely not the case. Um, I think, and I think you will get good ideas back from people. And, and in some cases, people will say to you, no, I don't think you are the right person for that job. I don't think you'd enjoy that. Or I don't think that you, you know, you know, that's not something that would fit your, your, your particular skill set, but maybe you might want to think about X or Y. So um, I think that's, any sort of advice like that can be very helpful. Do you have anything to add, Ashwini? Uh, no, I think I think there are no particular strategies or fixed rules uh, because, I mean, everything is a tentative plan and life happens at its own pace. Uh, but I think hard work um, is the key. And I think as women, um, we have to work twice as hard sometimes to prove ourselves. Um, one thing... I think I would, I, I really believe is not to play the female card um, uh, when it comes to work, because I think if we want equity, we cannot ask for uh, favors, because then that will eventually lead to an opportunity gap or an attainment gap, not only for us, but I think it kind of, it creates a gap for our successors as well. That segues nicely, actually, to the theme of International Women's Day to, uh, this year, which is Embrace Equity. Um, and really, it'd be nice to move on to what people of all genders can do to support and encourage women. So, Fiona, you touched on the role of mentorship. Can you talk us through some of your mentors of any gender and perhaps what helped you? In fact, in my in my career, I've only ever had one official mentor, <laughs> and that was um, that's been during my time on on council. I've never really had a mentor before that, or somebody officially entitled a mentor. But I've obviously had lots of people around me um, who I've consulted about things, as I um, suggested before. I think the role of a mentor, and, and I've acted as a mentor for other people, um, so my sort of understanding of the role of a mentor is to try and help your mentee to explore the ways in which they want to take things forward and to, and to help them discover for themselves the, the things, uh, the ways in which they might do that. And certainly my mentor here um, at the college definitely worked in that way for me. I, I um, would float a few ideas um, tentatively in front of them and then they would um, kind of reflect them back to me in a way that made me see them in a, in a different light and um, uh, gave an idea that that I could I could envisage myself being um, successful in areas where that I hadn't previously thought of. So I think that's that, that person was a very skilled mentor, and certainly, as I say, with my non-official mentors, um, they've always 
been able to um, encourage me in if I felt uh, tentative about things um, or, or wasn't sure how to how to approach things or what skills I could bring to certain areas. So often being like a mirror. How about you, Ashwini? Oh, thank you. Thanks, Ramai. I think I, I do echo Fiona's thoughts uh, uh, because obviously, officially, uh, the mentor that I've had is only after uh, joining the College Council. But um, I've always had um, uh, support from many colleagues at work. And I think, um, I suppose... Um, you know, we all of us have mentors at various uh, stages and they, they keep changing. And I've had the same uh, in my career, both um, men and women. Uh, I suppose uh, our parents are our true um, first mentors growing up. And as adults, as Fiona rightly said, we need uh, someone who can guide us in the direction of travel that we intend to take our journey to. Uh, we need uh, probably mentors who can... Uh, listen and who open our thinking to wider perspectives through their experience. So I think most of the answers uh, lie within us, but it's I believe um, mentors are people who can uh, push us in the right direction. So uh, yes, I've had some fantastic um, mentors, uh, if you want to term it that way, uh, throughout my career. So it's really about encouraging your highest potential. And also Fiona mentioned a bit earlier, it's also saying when opportunity, opportunities might not be right for you. So mm-hmm. I think, I mean, I personally believe mentorship is really important. So moving on and um, to tips that we could give up and coming female colleagues. And indeed, if you reflect back to your younger self and what you would have told her, do you have any thoughts on that? I'll start with Fiona. Yeah, I think there there definitely are things that we could that we could pass on to our to our younger female colleagues who are who are coming through um, training and and early careers now. It's very tempting to um, always think of yourself as as not up to the role, and I think it's it's quite a, a mindset to think of yourself primarily as as being perfectly suited and able to take on a role and I think you know uh, women don't always think like that I think we need to encourage that mindset a little bit more I think also the thing about leadership positions is that for everyone so I'm not talking just about women here but for everyone taking on a leadership position is is a you know it's a big thing to do and I think you need to think through what it is that you're going to see as an outcome of that leadership role because that's the real reason you're taking it on and so you need to sort of think about how you're going to achieve that outcome and I think women have a a, you know a a facility in terms of team working um, such that they would be able to to look at a role and the team that they've got around them and and see how that thing could function I'm not saying that men don't have that they do but I think women have it and sometimes don't realize they've got it. Um, and so that's another thing that I would say to people is think about how you might integrate into a team as well as leading it when you're thinking about the outcomes that might come out of that particular leadership role that you're taking on. I don't know, Ashwini, what do you think about that? No, definitely, Fiona. And I think uh, just to add to it, I think um, as women, uh, we are very self-critical. 
we are sometimes hesitant to take decisions that are likely to upset people possibly and can have the imposter syndrome setting in relatively early i think especially at leadership and managerial roles i don't know so i think it's really important to remind ourselves of our capabilities our potential and possibly the perspectives that um we bring um and the contributions that we can make it's it's a really interesting question ramai you said uh, what would you like uh, have told your younger self so i do have a daughter and of course i see uh, glimpses of my younger self in her literally uh, so what i tell her i mean she's a teenager of course so not quite um uh, there yet but what i tell her is probably to speak up for herself um when it's required of course um uh, believe in your capabilities be open and honest in whatever work you do and uh, possibly do not hesitate to ask questions and make mistakes because i think um it's important at whatever stage of life or career you are in it's it's always a learning curve and uh as fiona rightly said when we take up leadership or managerial roles it's important to take it up for the right reasons um so yes um that's probably what i will have to add yeah and i think that's that's an important point ashwini and um i think that one if i was going to give some advice to my younger self it would be to um think very carefully about the roles that the opportunities that come up and the roles you want to take on because i don't know about you but i've always felt really lucky to have the career that i've got and to have had the opportunities i've had and so i'm always wanting to to give something back to you know to the nhs to the various organizations i work for and so i i'm sort of tempted to take on almost everything that comes my way but i think you've got to be you have got to be selective and think about the ones where you could bring the most benefit and which you'll enjoy the most because i think that's key to being a good leader as well is really enjoying the things that you're doing because if you're not enjoying it you're never going to be able to inspire a team so i think you know i would just tell myself to be more selective i think that's brilliant advice um I think we've spent a lot of time thinking about the individual but there's also things that the system can do to support kind of female leaders going forward. So is there any are there any changes that you perhaps have seen or would like to see so that we can actually embrace female leadership and um really support it? Yeah, definitely the um the, the major change that I've seen certainly in my workplace is that quite a few leadership roles are now advertised as being um eligible to be a job share. Um and not not just for women obviously, but anyone um of any gender can can job share them. And I think that so that makes it much more flexible for people to be able to take up these roles both in terms of the commitment away from their clinical work but also the commitment in terms of their their life outside their work um i think also that having two perspectives on a role can be quite beneficial now obviously there might be instances where that causes um conflict but i think in general what it causes is collaboration so i i suspect you get more than twice the benefit from having you know double the number of people involved that's great ashwini uh i think i think as a system um and i i think as a college uh, i think we've published uh, a few articles as well and i really 
uh, resonated with the quote I think was written by Ramani Munasinghe in one of her articles about the um, they recommended I think six amplifications to help close the gender gap uh, and it was mainly amplification of opportunity um, and amplification of voices I would probably go ahead and say that it's not only that the voices need to be heard but listened to inclusion of course uh, and then participation recognition and uh, leadership I think I quite like the idea that it's not just a seat at the table that it's no longer enough it's it's um, the contributions and I think being aware is the first step and this obviously needs um, a change in the societal and the cultural system so it's a long way but I think um, we are getting there. The fact that we are sitting here and recording a podcast on the subject is uh, a great step indeed. Yeah, no, thanks. And I think it's really true. It's not just a seat at the table. It's it's managing the cultural nuances so that women actually have a voice as well. Um, and, you know, in when it, whatever way that is enacted. So that's um, a really important point. I was going to bring through a point that you've all you've both mentioned, um, and it's, you know, whether you call it work life balance, work life integration, as I prefer. Um, I know you both do a lot outside medicine. So, you know, how have you managed that? And do you have any kind of strategies or tips or learning points that um, our listeners can use? I, I um, whenever anybody asks me this question, I um, I'm always slightly worried that some of my friends might be listening because if I was to say I had a good work-life balance, I think I might hear howls of derision from um, from around the country. But um, I, nonetheless, I do think it's important, and I think that um, it's it's a sign of valuing yourself to have a good work-life balance because by you can't give the energy that's needed in these sorts of roles. I mean, look at look at the resignations of Jacinda Ardern and Nicola Sturgeon, both of whom have been leaders, you know, throughout the pandemic and have obviously given enormous amount of energy to that. And then have just put their hands up and said, whatever you think politically, have said, okay, I've, I've given all the energy I can give now and I, I can't do this role anymore and give the energy that it needs. And I think that's that's true, that you do need to be able to recharge your batteries and be able to be able to give properly in the role of a leader. So it is incredibly important. I've noticed since the pandemic that certainly in the workplace, there is probably less what we might call presenteeism. So people coming into work when they patently shouldn't because they're, you know, they're unwell, which is something the doctors have been guilty of for a long time. So um, I'm hoping that work-life balance is becoming a bit more ingrained in our, in our culture. For myself, um, despite my very poor work-life balance, I do still um, take the time to try and, you know, get out and have other interests outside um, what I do here at the college and to completely switch off. I think I, I wrote a thing some, some years ago about when you're off on leave, you know, try not to think about or to get involved in work things at all, because the moment you flip back into looking at emails or looking at your WhatsApp messages, even if you don't do anything about it or respond, you've suddenly taken on that anxiety again and it's ruined your your sort of relaxation so um 
I, I would, don't take me as a role model, but uh, do listen to my advice. <laughs> do as I say. <laughs> um, and Ashwini, if I move to you, I mean, you've got a young family. So how have you found that? How have you found navigating that? Uh, thanks, Ramaya. I think, yes, um, uh, and uh, a young family, yes, and an anesthetist as a husband. So uh, that makes the two of us. So it is, it can be tricky sometimes to manage that. But I must say that I think the trick is to have interests outside work. And, um, uh, you know, it could be uh, simple things like uh, hobbies or, you know, even listening to music, which cheers you up. Because obviously, um, I am one of the things I don't know, um, I, I could sound uh, very outdated here, but I feel keeping away from social media sometimes keeps me quite sane. I'm not uh, very um, active on social media because sometimes I feel there is only so much that you can take and it's nice to switch off. So out of work, I'm not, I'm probably listening to music or I'm doing some uh, yoga uh, or just um, having a stroll. So it's, and I think it's important, these little things in life matter to keep our sanity, especially in the pressure times that we live in. Yeah, so I think it's appreciating the simple joys and the simple things that you can do, you know, outside your professional roles and, you know, the kind of relationships you build there. If I um, move on to you, Fiona, specifically for the next question, um, you've already touched on some of the changes that anesthesia has seen during your time as a career with respect to female leadership. Um, is there anything that you can expand on and possibly even your aspirations are directly? <laughs> Thanks, Ramai. Um Yes, I mean, as I mentioned, there have been huge changes in the time that I've been an anaesthetist. So I started as a as an SHO in anaesthetics in 1987, and at that time, for women who wanted to have a career and have a family, work part time, it was incredibly difficult to organise. I can remember um, talking to women who who had to, you know, essentially give up for a period of time in order to be able to have a family, and that just isn't right. Gradually over time, that's improved. And I think um, the strides that are being made at the moment for flexible working um, are, are really impressive, actually. And it's not just for it's not just for women, actually. I mean, if we're talking about um, embrace equity, obviously, we need to talk for everyone. And there are all sorts of reasons for needing to work less than full time um, in order to manage your um, life um, challenges alongside your not that having a family is a challenge but you know your life circumstances alongside your work so I think yeah flexibility in careers is a, is a major change that's that's happened during my lifetime and I think that is going to go on and and become even more of a possibility now there's a flip side to that that if you have a lot of flexibility within the workplace um, it does mean that um, you have to have sufficient workforce to be able to, to manage that flexibility. And there has to be some give and take because uh, obviously we still have to, you know, we know there are 7 million people waiting for operations and procedures. So we have to still be able to, to provide the work. And I think that, you know, when we were talking about work-life balance, I think people might remark at the moment on the fact that um, 
you know, it's, it's, there's so much work to do at the moment that uh, thinking about taking on a leadership position might be a secondary thing at the moment because you just don't have the time to reflect on that. And that's, that, that is a sad reflection. And I think that as work pressures have increased, the amount of um, leeway that organisations have to be able to offer people the time they need to take on leadership positions effectively has in fact decreased. So in some ways we've seen an increase in flexibility within the workplace, but in other ways we've possibly seen a, a decrease, which may be to the detriment of people wanting to take on these sorts of leadership positions. I think it's become uh, the whole the whole workplace has become, I think, much more inclusive in that there's a much wider variety of people from different backgrounds with different experiences and different lifestyle circumstances who are now in the workplace. Whereas when I first started, certainly in, in medicine in general and in anaesthesia, um, the, the, the sort of consultants that you looked up to were all, um, well, certainly when I, when I first started in anaesthetics, all the consultants I work with um, were men. Um, so, and it was very much a male dominated specialty. Uh, whereas now I don't think we can, I don't think we can say that there's a, a large proportion of women in, in anaesthesia. So there has been a, a great change. We're certainly not all the way along that journey yet. And um, I know that there, there is still a real problem of racism, sexism within medicine in general, and, and I'm sure within anaesthetics as well. So we're not the whole of the way along the journey, but I think we've, we've come quite a long way. And actually, although, as you said, um, some people will have only, only have the experience of a female president through me being president. We have had um, Judith Hulf, who was the president. Um, I think she, she was certainly president in 2009 because I remember being um, having my examiner ceremony with her as president. And we also had, when we were a faculty of anaesthetists, we had a, a dean in Aileen Adams, who was uh, one of the, the first deans of the faculty um, and one of the first female deans, um, I, I think, within, you know, within those sorts of uh, the specialties that we work in. So we have a, a, a proud, if you know, small record of uh, promoting with women within anaesthesia. And there are plenty of, you know, in, as you say, inspirational women in anaesthesia at the moment. I think there's a greater transparency and it's really bringing forth that inclusive culture, as you've said, um, and as you know, we've got some way to go, but actually it seems that things have improved immensely. Um, Ashwini, do you have anything to add, any thoughts on that? It's interesting because unlike what uh, Fiona's experience has been, my teachers and professors have uh, mainly been uh, females. And uh, obviously, they continue to um, inspire me in their own ways. Um, and but so at that point of time, when I was training, I thought um, anesthesia or anesthesiology, as they say in India, uh, was a branch mainly for women. Having said that, after I finished training and got into practicing um, anesthesia, it was different. And I must say that it was a man's world then, or rather a surgeon's world. So it's, um, but I must say that we have come a long way. And um, uh, I really um, like, um, I want to um, talk about the 
you know, it was a fantastic program that RCP launched. It was a project uh, about um, women in medicine in the year 2017, which showcased um, profile of, you know, inspiring female clinicians from past and present. And um, one of them, so Professor uh, Jane Dacre, who is the president of the RCP, who I was privileged to meet at the RCOA Winter Symposium uh, in December 2021. And I know uh, Fiona uh, chaired that session and she so much passionately spoke about uh, uh, gender pay gap and uh, also our very own um, Anna Bachelor, I think, has been showcased uh, there as well. So something really inspiring. So I think we have come a long way and, um, but yes, um, still a long way to go. I think it's really important to remember that, isn't it? That we have come a long way. And although there are challenges in front of us and still, you know, clearly some challenges and barriers um, that the culture is shifting. And I have to say, you know, from my own personal experience, and this comes from people of all genders, that there's much more of an encouraging, nurturing, supportive um, culture coming through, which I think is brilliant. Um, but obviously, we still have some work to do. So Ashwini, if I could turn to you. So we know that Embrace Equity is the subject of International Women's Day this year. And we know there's a huge focus right now particularly born through the pandemic, but it always existed on equity, diversity and inclusivity. Can I just ask you about your experiences as someone of an ethnic minority background and a woman in anesthesia? Thanks, Jemaya. I think I think that's a really interesting question. And um, it's um, Again, as, as I said previously, it, it's been tricky. Um, there is obviously, um, so as uh, you rightly said, I am an international medical graduate. So it was a cultural shift when I came to the country. Uh, simple things like uh, addressing um, peers and colleagues by their first name was um, something that I wasn't used to. So back home, all the teachers or um, professors are called sir or madam and we used to stand up when they walked in so uh, out of respect of course so it, it was a and then here addressing um, the most uh, senior clinician in the department by first name or uh, was was a big cultural shock so it's it's different um, having said that um I, I think this is, I, and I can talk of experiences back home and here, and uh, I think people everywhere are the same, no matter what, we are all humans. And um, it, it, it has always been um, obviously a, a man's world, but things are changing. Uh, I'd like to actually, um, uh, remember on this particular occasion, the first female anesthetist uh, in the world was from India. Uh, her name is Dr. Rupa Bai Fardunji. And she, uh, I think, was a physician anesthetist sometime back in 1889 up to 1917. And um, she was actually sent by um, her mentor, who was Edward Laurie. So obviously it was... Um, um, 
uh, India was a British colony then, and she was sent to uh, Edinburgh to, um, uh, you know, uh, support her skills. And uh, she learned how to administer chloroform. So what I'm trying to say is um, no matter where you are, it's it's important to um, do good work, show, be passionate about what you're doing and uh, speak for yourself, stand for yourself. And it doesn't matter. We will get there. I think uh, it's high time that everybody thinks about all others as equal. And I think the men do realize it now. Um, and in fact, women as well. So uh, I think it's important for women to think that it's it's we are we are different in many ways we have our own perspectives we have our own um, emotions and we can do things differently but we can also do things what everyone else does so i think as as women uh, the experience of being um, say office bearers of organization or you know to have involvement in uh, guidelines or reviewer panels uh, we like that and we do like uh, the applause that we get on, say, well-delivered lectures or the satisfaction of just doing a complicated case that I've just done this morning. Uh, I think the happiness of, um, you know, like a well-conducted seminar. Um, so all that, I think it it does match similar to maybe the joy of motherhood, if I can put it that way. Um uh, it, it just reminds me to recollect that, you know, in the Manu Smriti, there is a verse saying, Yatra Naryastu Pujyante Ramante Tatra Devataha, which actually means that um, uh, gods reside in places where a woman is worshipped. So we are not asking for us to be worshipped, but I think what we are asking is um, equity. No, thank you so much. Um, I think it's really important, um, uh, and I say this as a woman of ethnic minority background as well, to pick up on those cultural nuances. Um, obviously, you know, there are characteristics that may or may not align with female leadership. And I'm not saying that each of us has a specific kind of leadership style, but, um, you know, like you said, there's nuances to to potentially nuances to female leadership, but there's also cultural nuances which really come from you know differing life experiences um so it's really taking those into account so one aspect um that we've seen greater focus on is the aspect of widening participation in medicine um fiona do you have any thoughts on that yeah i do actually ramai i i think it's you know we're talking about women specifically because this is a podcast we're recording for um national women's day but the the, the hashtag embrace equity obviously expands and extends more widely than just to women and i think one of the problems that we have in medicine in general and certainly in anesthesia is that um there's there are a lot of things that you're expected to do in order to progress quite apart from be you know competent and confident in in, in any branch of medicine um, through um, you know the, the, the training requirements, but also the exams, the expensive exams, all of these things build up to make it uh, less equitable across the field for lots of different groups, including women, um, to progress at the same rate through a specialty. So there'll be some who say that as president of the Royal College of Anaesthetists, I'm obviously in the best possible position to be able to make the changes that I've just been talking about. And um, 
I think you know it's going to be a slow pro a slow process to be able to do that. But um, we do recognise here that there are things that we can do, and we are trying to make changes to make the the the, the playing field much more level. Um, and on international in a podcast on International Women's Day, um, I would stress that that should make things much more equitable for women. But of course, that, they're not the only group that we're talking about here. Absolutely. And I think it's just embracing that each of us has, you know, individual experiences and tailoring, tailoring to those needs. If you could really sum up in maybe one tip or two tips, anything that would really help the listeners and really, um, you know, pinpoint what their next steps would be, you know, particularly if they're, if they are on a leadership journey, what would that be? So, one, one or two tips. That's <laughs> quite tricky, isn't it? I think um, for people who are at the beginning of their journey, um, one of the things to do is to look for role models and, you know, speak to those people and they they should be able to give you pointers as to, you know, how you can take things forward. And they and also people will people in those positions will often help you um, get you involved in specific projects or um, uh, other things that are happening so as to help you gain experience um, in in leadership areas. Um, so I think that's that's one thing is to is to spot the people who you admire and see as forging a path that you might want to follow and and try and you know pick their brains really to, to find out what what their tips are. And I would say, um, you know, have confidence in yourself, really. I know that's it's very easy to say and sometimes difficult to do. But um, all of us, you know, not, nobody gets to these to the position of being someone who's progressing in a career in any specialty in medicine. But let's talk about anaesthesia uh, in particular um, without being somebody who's incredibly capable um, uh, and, and would be able to take on these sorts of responsibilities. So I think just to have confidence that you, you can advance in that way. Those are brilliant. Um, role models are really important too. How about you, Ashwini? I think from my side, if I have to really pinpoint, I think... Um it's um, the horizons are all open. So just go out there and be confident or uh, do not hesitate in taking up responsibilities, but make sure you do it for the right reasons. So, so it's been as expected, absolutely fascinating speaking to both of you. It's been a really thought provoking conversation, um, listening to your individual journeys and also your aspirations for the future for female leadership. So there's nothing more than to thank you, Fiona, Donald, um, and Ashwini Keshkamat on what's been a brilliant podcast. Thank you for listening to Anesthesia On Air from the Royal College of Anaesthetists. Make sure you don't miss out on the latest episodes by clicking subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you give us a review. It helps others find our podcast. If there is a topic you'd like us to cover or you'd like to feature in the podcast, please email podcast at rcoa.ac.uk. And finally, if you would like to access more podcasts, as well as videos, e-learning, webinars, and our program of events and courses, you can find them all online at rcoa.ac.uk 
forward slash education. We hope to see you again soon. Please note, all views expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals and not those of the Royal College of Anaesthetists.